Hey everyone, this is Vegan Theology, episode 20. You're here with Kevin and Sarah Hale. What's going on, Sarah? <laughs> Hello, Kevin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are going to spend some time with this podcast over the next six weeks focusing on Lent and relating the season of Lent to animals, to the other creatures we share this planet with. God's good creation. Yeah, I think we had an idea. We uh, we saw a creature kind. They, with David Clough, they attempted to create a curriculum around Lent, and I think we thought it was a really good idea. Yeah. And we found a book by Gail Boss. It's called Wild Hope, Stories for Lent from the Vanishing. And I think what she's trying to do in this book is tell the stories of animals who are disappearing their numbers are dwindling as a result of human choices. Mm-hmm. The rainforest, for instance, being depleted for palm oil and or factory farming, that kind of thing. So, yeah, she focuses on the fact that we are in the sixth mass extinction of the Earth's history. And this is the first mass extinction that's caused by humans. Right. Not some natural disaster like right. tectonic plates or asteroids, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So that's a really cool resource to look at. Yeah. For those of us who maybe did not grow up in churches that celebrated Lent, the season of Lent, let's just talk about what Lent is a little bit. Mm. It was established well before the Council of Nicaea in 325. So it's a it's been a long time tradition within the church mm. to prepare for Christ's sacrifice, to prepare to celebrate Christ's sacrifice, death, resurrection. And it's, so it's the 40 days before Resurrection Sunday, mm. as some people call it Easter. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I always cringe a little bit at the word Easter, but it is it has been adopted universally by right. the church, so I just need to get over myself. What don't you like about Easter? Well, as I understand it, it's the name of a pagan fertility goddess. Oh. So there was this pagan festival that was held in many European communities pre-Christendom. Hmm. And, of course, the church kind of took over a lot of those pagan festivals and Christianized a lot of those festivals. But mm. they, they retained the name Easter, even though it has nothing to do with Christ mm. or the church calendar. So mm. I always have wondered why we still use the name of a pagan fertility goddess for the most holy day of the calendar. But I understand, like, I guess Resurrection Sunday doesn't really roll off the tongue as quite as nicely. Mm. <laughs> so. Interesting. So I figured this out. I sat down with my calendar because you may notice if you start counting from this Wednesday, this year it's February 14th that Lent begins, and it always begins on Ash Wednesday. And then everybody says Lent is 40 days, but if you count from Ash Wednesday all the way to the day before resurrection, you've come up with 46 days. I read a little bit and figured out that The 40 days are Monday through Saturday of these six weeks. Mm. But the church felt that the Lord's Day, the six Lord's Days in there, 
should not be part of Lent, which is a very solemn, sorrowful at times time where we are fasting and we're confronting our sinfulness. Mm. We're, we're confronting the fact that our world is not the way it's supposed to be mm. and our lives are not the way they're supposed to be. And that's, it's a wonderful practice, but the early church was, we, we have to retain that the Lord's Day is a day of celebration. It should always be a day of joy. So fasting is not allowed on Sunday. Mm. So you go through Lent, you go through the six days of the week, every week of Lent, but then you can break your fast and you can celebrate again on the Lord's Day, mm. which is a really nice rhythm, honestly. It's this beautiful thing. And yeah, I did not grow up celebrating Lent. I don't think you did either. No. But the church we belong to for the past eight or nine years does celebrate Lent. So I've really come to love it. And in fact, it's probably my favorite time of mm. the entire year. And one of the books that we are reading right now is Lawrence Hull Stuckey's book called Calendar, Christ's Time for the Church. And he has a, a beautiful chapter about the 40 days of Lent and yeah, something he said in there really resonated for me because he said for a lot of people who just have this celebratory Palm Sunday, so the people who don't celebrate Lent, and I was one of them growing mm -hmm. up, you just kind of suddenly it's Palm Sunday and it's a celebration, you know, rah, rah, Hosanna, cheer for Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. And then you don't come back to church again until Resurrection Sunday, mm. which is another woohoo. He's alive. He's risen. And even as a kid or a young teenager, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I can remember being like, it feels like we're missing parts of the story. <laughs> it seems like we're kind of glossing over some really important aspects of this story. Mm. And I can remember feeling like it's kind of hard to have authentic celebratory joy when I haven't really thought about everything that's led up until this day. Mm. And so I think that's just one of many reasons why it's so wonderful to start with Ash Wednesday and especially through Holy Week to really think about everything Jesus did his last week before crucifixion mm. and resurrection. So that's one reason. But let's talk a little bit about what Ash Wednesday is. So there's an arc to Lent. It starts out as I said, really confronting our own sin and really our own mortality. It's confronting our own imminent death mm. or eventual death. Unless Christ returns and redeems all things before we die, we will die. This heart is going to stop beating and decay will set in to this body. And I think that's clearly something that maybe we weren't created to have to think about. I think it's an effect of sin that we don't want to think about and we don't naturally think about. But I think the early church, and I think you could see it in other religions as well, there's a realization that there is value in confronting your own death. Mm. There's spiritual value to facing the fact that my life is going to come to an end at some point for many reasons. But one reason, I think, is that when we confront our own death, when we really come to terms with that, 
it has the potential to clarify our perspective and to really clarify our priorities. And, you know, naturally, I think questions arise. Well, okay, my life isn't going to go on indefinitely, but I, I'm alive today. Mm. How do I want to live? How do I want to show up? What do I want my life to look like? What are my priorities? What do I want my legacy to be? Who do I want to foster relationship with? And, and you know, all of those kinds of questions that I think can help us lead a better life. Right. So Ash Wednesday, as you may know, is a service all about confronting death, our own death, and, and the corruption and the sin that has entered God's good creation. It's obviously a sorrowful meditation. And at the end of the service, typically the priest or the pastor will make the sign of the cross on your forehead with ashes. And those ashes are actually created from last year's palms. So the pastor saves some palms from last Palm Sunday. And by now, of course, they're brittle and, and dry. And so he burns them and grinds the ashes into this very fine powder mm. and mixes it with oil and puts it on your forehead. And so it's beautiful because, yes, I'm going to die to dust I am made of and to dust I will return. But it's made in the sign of the cross, which means I can die in Christ which is, of course, a very hopeful consideration. Right. So through this series on vegan theology, our Lenten series, we're going to spend a little time just glancing at the lectionary and what readings the lectionary recommends throughout Lent. And oftentimes what is read on Ash Wednesday is from the book of Joel, chapter 2. So let's just read that. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? So again, Lent begins on a very somber repentant note. But of course, we know where the story is going. We know how right. this story ends. And we know that hope and redemption and turning to God and receiving new life is what we are traveling towards. Mm. So as Kevin already mentioned, this awesome book by Gail Boss, she takes Lent and she focuses on what we've done wrong, basically. 
So this mournfulness that is so inherent to Lent, she turns the focus towards, look at how we've failed God's creation. Look how we've failed God as stewards of God's good creation. And look how we have failed creation. Hmm. She talks about how as a mother of young sons, she would try to get her, her boys really excited about Lent. And every year she just felt like she wasn't making the connection. And it wasn't until they were, both of her sons were in their 20s that she came upon this idea because she knew they loved animals. There was one year when they were small that she learned that for centuries, the church had used Noah's Ark as a symbol of our Lenten passage. And of course, that story is all about how we failed God and how we messed up God's good creation. But that somehow God was still with us, had not forsaken us, and still had a plan to redeem things. And that year when she used Noah's Ark with her boys, she could tell they, they got really excited about the animals, talking about the animals that God saved and how wonderful and majestic and interesting and powerful and intelligent some of these animals are. And so it was years later she came out with this book. And like Kevin said, each week of Lent, she focuses on several different animal species who are in danger of going extinct. As a result of human choices. Yes. She says the more she learned as she went through her life about these amazing animals that are just getting killed off, the more it broke her heart. And she was like, I know God cares about these animals. And I know this breaks God's heart. Yeah, I love how she's saying this idea of the ark and God saving not just humans, but also non-human animals is a beautiful way to celebrate Lent. She says this season is meant to rouse us from our self-absorption. That's the whole point of Lent. People give up things. People strip away things that are no longer serving them. Mm. Many people fast. I'm considering doing some kind of fast this year. The whole point of the season is to rouse us out of our self-absorption. So what better time we talk a lot on this podcast about how anthropocentric, how humanocentric the church is. That's how we were raised in the church, to only think about God's love for humans. Well, that's pretty self-absorbed, honestly. Right. And so Lent is a wonderful time to rouse ourselves out of this self-absorption and start thinking about other creatures that God loves. Right. I think some of what we're learning and some of the research we do about how we're treating animals, factory farming, just overfishing of the oceans, everything. I think what she's trying to say in this book is that the death of species of animals is kind of possibly foreshadowing the death of us. Like we are connected. Yeah. And if we don't get a handle on this, if we don't like get a realization, kind of what we're saying here, it's to our peril as well. Mm. It's interesting. She says the promise of Lent is that something will be born of the ruin. Mm. And she's saying it's seated with resurrection. There's a lot to be noted about it. And so I think that's our goal is to really, vegan theology is to focus on the animals and possibly what it is that we are doing and are contributing as humans to their demise. And ultimately, like I said, there's this, I want to say symbiotic (laughs) relationship, Mm -hmm. but there is this, this symbiotic relationship between the animals and us and the planet. But I even think even outside of that, we are charged as image bearers 
to be good stewards of this creation. Yeah. And by, and we'll get into it as we talk about the Ash Wednesday animal, the orangutan. Mm -hmm. um, we'll just talk about how our need for certain things is creating the demise or our need for certain consumer products as humans is leading to the demise of rainforests that are the homes of these orangutans. Yeah. Her animal of focus for Ash Wednesday is the Sumatran orangutan, which interestingly, that word is a Sumatran word, which means person of the forest mm. because they are so, they are like persons. <laughs> it's hard to watch an orangutan mother and her child and how she teaches and nurtures and is so loyal right. to this child and how she, how the child it's hard to watch orangutans and not think of them as persons right i mean yeah they're just amazing and beautiful and awesome so she points out that just a century ago a hundred thousand of this species swung through the canopy from one end of the Indonesian island of Sumatra to the other. So 100,000 orangutans on this island. Today, their living spaces, their region has been shrunk down to these nine little pockets of forest on the island. And it's basically the nine little pockets of forest just on the very northern tip of the island is left. And they number fewer than 7,000. That is crazy. From 100,000 100 years ago to now 7,000. And she said hundreds more are killed every year. Yeah, so and, we're and, wiping them out. Yeah, and, and, there, and the question is why? What is it that we're doing? Yeah. And she points out that it's we're cutting down and burning the rainforest so we can create plantations for oil palm trees and she just lists a lot of the things that this palm oil is in and the, and the reason it's being used is because it's it's inexpensive and it's versatile and it's in so many things they said she's sort of saying half the things in the supermarket are made with with palm oil mm. things from lotion to lipstick to toothpaste to chocolate to ice cream to cookies to cake mix to pizza dough to bread soap shampoo so many things, so many products. At some point, we're going to have to face it. If not now, we're going to have to face it at some point when this devastation gets larger. Right. right. And of course, I, I just feel compelled to say, you look at the Amazonian rainforest, and 100 times the amount of acreage has been torn down there as compared to Sumatra. Right. And the leading driver there is cattle ranching, and feed crops to feed cattle to fatten them up to finish them after, you know, when they're getting ready to slaughter. So again, rainforests all over the world are being destroyed by humans for consumer products. And it's hurting the wildlife, the wild species that are going extinct because we're taking away their homes. And it's hurting the farmed animals, uh, in the case of the Amazonian rainforest, that we're creating to fill our... Our appetites. Well, and just the climate and the planet as well. It's the devastation is global. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of our work with both of our podcasts is usually focusing on farmed animals. 
and what we're doing to them. And so this will be a, a nice little change of pace because we also care about wildlife. Right, all of God's creation, really. Every creature that is suffering at our hand. But she writes this beautiful story of this one orangutan mother and how she cares for her child. And the child stays with the mother, basically clinging to the mother for eight years. Yeah. Eight years she raises this baby before she would have another child. And she talks about how she's constantly teaching this baby, like this is where you find water, this is how you weave a basket to sleep in each day. Yeah, and while she's nurturing and caring for this, her younger child baby for like eight years, her older son, who at this point in the story is like 10 years old, comes back to visit to get lessons and tools, to get some food, to get some comfort from his mother. And and he also many times will come and take a nap with her and the baby. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's this very long nurturing relationship that's happening with this mother and her children. It's pretty amazing. And it's, if you think about it, just the whole description of it is very peaceful and very nurturing. Mm. And yet we're just ripping it out from under them. Right. So it's it's kind of sad. It's very sad. So obviously the takeaway, one of one of the takeaways from this story is yeah, I don't want to buy products with palm oil. That's something I'm right. going to look out for. I'm going to look at the ingredients list and you know, I don't want to finance contribute to this the demand for this palm oil that's wiping out an entire species, at least one, and I'm sure there's others. Right. She also talks about how on Sumatra, there are workers who have like a little sanctuary for orangutan orphans and how they're trying to raise these babies the way their mother would right. so that they could survive on In their the own. Yeah. And she says that the only way to separate a mother orangutan from her child is to kill the mother. Yeah. And so these babies are just clinging to each other the way they would cling to their mother. And they go out with these human workers who are trying to teach them how this is how you swing from the trees. You know, this is how you find water, Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. So I guess there's some hope in this story that there are humans doing what they can to relieve some suffering of these individuals. But obviously we need to do much more than that. So yeah, for the rest of this book, if you happen to get a copy of this book, it's called Wild Hope Stories for Lent from the Vanishing by Gail Boss. But she breaks the six weeks of Lent down into uh, focusing on various animals, and she breaks them into categories. And so we just did the Ash Wednesday, the Sumatran orangutan. But week one, the heading is the hungry. Week two, the sick. Week three, the homeless. Week four, the poisoned. Week five, the hunted. And week six, Holy Week, the desecrated. So we're going to focus on these animals and tell their story uh, each week. I love, sorry to interrupt you. I love this language because exactly these are the ones we are supposed to be caring for. And again, normally we think of of the weak and the imprisoned and the sick and the poisoned and the hunted, whatever. We we think about the humans among us that need support and need defense. But why not the the least of these? I mean, who is more least of these than these animals who have nobody to defend them? Right. 
And it's interesting, like you were saying, we're just talking about an orangutan, but the insects and all the other smaller animals that are being wiped out as these uh, rainforests are being burned to the ground. Right. I mean, it's, it's devastating. And I know we know this from other research we've done, that the amount of species loss is just unbelievable. So we should probably get numbers on that, but I just know it's unbelievable. It's something crazy. Yeah. So in bringing this episode to a close, uh, I'm just going to share a prayer that I read this week. Glory to God, from whom all love flows. Glory to Jesus, who showed his love through suffering. And glory to the Holy Spirit, who brings light to the darkest places. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Ash Wednesday. I'll be thinking of all of you as I'm celebrating Ash Wednesday, and we'll talk again soon.